Hey contractors, welcome to the Contractor's Playbook. I'm your host, Michael Gogan, and on this podcast, we will be talking with experts in the industry and getting real about their failures, successes, and lessons learned. I'll be joined in studio by our producer, Isaac Moore. Man, Isaac, uh, another another awesome conversation. Um, here we were joined by Emily Howard, uh, total rock star in the, in the painting space, and honestly a rock star in the, just the contracting world. Um, they obviously focus on painting, but we, we spent a good chunk of time talking about the labor shortage that we're seeing in the, in our country, not just in contracting, but just all around. And she just had some really awesome insights on how to attack that labor shortage and how to make sure that, you know, you're going to set your business up for a successful future. Right. Yeah. And she talked as well, I think about some just some really helpful things for any kind of business about refining more of your purpose and your vision for your company and just how much that can pay dividends for you down the road, thinking big picture, not just thinking about what does this next three months look like, but thinking about the why and where you're headed. Yep, absolutely. And it, yeah, we started talking, you know, with the labor shortage and it, everything just kind of came full circle yeah. and, and she tied everything together really nicely. So I think you guys are going to really love this episode. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Yeah. Well, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for uh, joining us again for the uh, Contractors Playbook. I've got I've got a slightly intimidating guest today. Um, we were just talking in the in the green room, uh, but we're joined today by Emily Howard of American Contractor or American Painting Contractor Editor in Chief. Uh, but reason I would say she's slightly intimidating is you are the uh, co-host of Paint Radio and. That's been going since what twenty fifteen. Yeah, it's, it's been a right, while. Emily? It's you know we were we were shaky there at the beginning. <laughs> we've got a much better process now, but yeah, we've been we've been doing it for quite some time now. It's fun. Absolutely. So tell me just a little bit about the APC and uh, that end of things, and like what led you into you know the paint radio piece, and then we'll dive into yeah. Some, so some APC uh, American Painting Contractor. We are a publication that's been serving the. Uh, painting industry and owners of painting businesses actually since 1924. Um, so we've been around for quite a long time now. You know, I would say the last five to 10 years, we've been getting into other types of media. So um, we do videos, we do podcasts, we have a lot of digital editorial, um, all kinds of different things, social, obviously. Um, what we really loved about the podcast, I think, was is that so many of our, our readers and now listeners actually spend quite a bit of time on the wall. Um, so that created just a really kind of cool opportunity to be kind of in their ear and interviewing experts and talking to a number of different people on tons of different topics while they were working. So we felt like it was a really efficient way of communicating with our readership. And um, But everything that we cover in all those different vehicles, it's, it's business strategies, it's application strategies, we are all focused in the painting industry. Very nice. So I want to dive into then the thing that I feel like every conversation I've had here in the last probably six to 12 months, this is, has come up at some point. It's not always like the leader um, of the conversation, but we are in a very interesting job market uh, in the contracting space in the across our country. It doesn't, it's not just, you know, in the contracting world. Uh, the job market we are in and the owners are facing is probably something we we've never seen um, or it's been a long time since we've seen. Uh, how are you seeing that 
impact the painting, you know, well, so we've been watching this for many, many years now. Um, it's, it's, it's on steroids now, I feel like, because what we're seeing is, is that we've got, you know, we've got an entire country, an entire world that is facing a labor shortage, and we were actually facing a labor shortage long before this. Um, and so it's, it's been very interesting to see this come really to the forefront. It's sort of always in the forefront, but it's really, really in the forefront to forefront now. And it's not just a labor situation for the painting industry. It's a massive increase in demand on top of it. So we saw both of those things sort of happen at the same time. But basically what we've seen in construction has seen this for many years now, which is we people are leaving the trades. Um, you know, I've heard wild numbers, anywhere from 20 to 50%, um, you know, going away from the trades and heading into different types of careers over decades now. And so as we get into this time period where there's there's a lot of demand for for building, for construction, for painting, for all of these different things, we've got an industry that's been kind of suffering for a while, but now is really, really suffering. But with that, I think we've seen some incredible strategies. And I, for one, am quite optimistic about the future. I think that this the fact that this is happening on such a broader landscape now is actually, I hope, going to create more opportunity for the trades um, than what we've seen in the, the past couple decades. Yeah, let's. Th- that's actually really awesome perspective that it's like it's on steroids now because it was, you know, I think, yeah, five years ago when you talked to a painting contractor or just any business owner in the trades, Hiring was always one of the more difficult things in employer retention. Um, you mentioned your optimism, though, and some strategies that are, are working. Let's unpack that a little bit. Um, what's leading you to that optimism or what are some well, of Well, I think the fact that so many people are leaving different industries, you know, you're seeing this in the corporate world. You're seeing this um, probably not so much in, in the tech world, but there's just a lot of people who have been desk jockeys, you know, kind of like myself for a long time, who are kind of curious about what uh, other things are out there for them. In addition to that, college has gotten unbelievably expensive. And because demand is so high, we've seen a lot of our readers really be able to raise what they're charging. Um, so paying more is is becoming more and more common. Benefits, um, bonus, bonus structures, career paths, all of these things are or things that we're seeing companies do as a result of this challenge facing us. And I kind of wonder if we're not going to see a little bit of a pivot here in the next five to 10 years where the trades just become a little bit more respected, hopefully a lot more respected. And there's really good careers that are available um, and that that becomes a little bit more known because we've got people uh, using better hiring strategies, people using uh, better retention strategies. Uh, I, I just, I think that there's, there's good things to come. Absolutely. You, you hit on something that I'm pretty passionate about there, the, the retention strategies. Let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Um, what are you noticing? Cause you're very similar to myself where we talk to, a lot of contractors on the daily and in my opinion the ones that are feeling this you know labor shortage and the the hiring piece 
are the ones that are also turning over a lot of their staff and, you know, getting ready for this. I was just looking at some statistics and 35%, this is an average in the contract and the construction trades, but 35% of people's staff churns annually. And it's, that's a wild number for me to think about that you're basically four out of every 10 people on your team, you're going to have to replace next year. Uh, what are some things that you see, like some of these teams that are maybe intact and have been intact for a long time from a retention standpoint, what are they doing that may be a little different than some of these other um, So, you know, it's funny, two years ago, I think it was two years ago now, I wrote my column on this very topic. Um, and it actually might have been before that because it was, it was prior to the pandemic. Um, and it was, the title of the column was, Would You Work For You? And so... What I did in that column was really just talked about kind of looking inward and asking yourself if this was a job that you want. Are you creating a job and a culture and a community that you would want to be part of uh, if you are on the other side of this? And we've seen a lot of contractors in the last number of years. Some of them have done this forever. They're just they're self-reflective anyways. And so they they really consider how their actions and how their management style and how uh, the hierarchy at their company affects their employees. Um, but we're seeing more and more people do it. And more importantly, we're seeing more and more people talk about it. And so a couple things that we've seen is we've got a lot more people looking at benefits for the trades, paid time off. We've got more people looking at bonus structures. And then one of my favorite things is career paths. So we do a series as part of Paint Radio, and it's called Mission Vacation. And basically what we do in this series is, is that we take one contractor every year who's so busy in their business that they don't have time for a vacation. And we give them coaching and, and kind of all these different strategies to help move them back from the business. And one of the biggest things that we see work in that series is career paths, really clear job descriptions and really clear steps forward. And that's good. That's good for the employees. It's good for their future. It's good for their families. But on the flip side of that, it's really good for the owner because the owner isn't making every single decision and putting out every single fire as it comes up. They're training people up to be able to handle more and more challenging situations. Yeah, for sure. The the delegate and elevate uh, type of mentality and it, it is really difficult. Like I've, I've been on that side of the, the fence where it's like, man, this was a lot less stressful when I just made all these decisions myself. And it, mm -hmm. it does take some time to like, you know, yes, the first go around probably will be more stressful, but the second and the third and the fourth, and then eventually it's like, oh, that happened. I didn't even know we executed on that. So that's, that's an awesome piece. Um, I love the word community because there there's so many buzzwords in in the trades and i i feel like covid is really like accentuated the buzzwords people love to jump on those now and obviously having a great culture is really important but it's it's one thing to say like hey emily you guys have to have a great culture and your people are going to stay there and and i love the the word community in there because you do have to create that community or almost not to sound cliche, but they, like family where it's like, I love going to work with these people and I don't want to leave them. Those kind of things. The other thing I want to unpack just a little bit there is the reflection piece. 
I think COVID, if we can take some some silver linings from it, really forced business owners to self-reflect on their business. Is that something you saw in the painting trade? Like it's like, man, like let's not have a pandemic have to force us to look at our business and evaluate our business and you know improve things for the better. Does that kind of stay true oh, in the painting world as well? I think we've well? seen more self-reflection really um, in the last number of years. You know, we've we've got an industry um, where a, a lot of people are um, retiring and a lot of people are leaving the painting trade. And this has been a trend that we've been watching for some years now. Um, but I would say the last five years, I've seen an incredible kind of new class of painting contractor come into this space. And um, these people are coming from from all different backgrounds. But one commonality that I'm really seeing between them is, is that they are really focused on the business. In the painting trade for many, many years, we see a lot of practitioners who step up into the business space. And that's very normal and in, 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 in any business, I think. But you've got people who are probably more focused on how the finish looks and and their own incredible talent uh, and craftsmanship and what they do. They're more focused on that than training the next generation. Um, But because we've had this new class of contractor come in who has maybe just a little bit less experience on the wall and a little bit more experience on the business side of things, we're seeing the we're seeing them build, like you said, these incredible cultures and these incredible communities, and creating a place that crafts people who really want to be good at what they do can come and work and show off their skills and be recognized for showing off their skills, um, and not have to run off and start their own business and have to worry about marketing and payroll and all of the business systems behind it. I think that these people have really sort of changed the trajectory of this space and everyone's sort of learning from them. And it's, it's fun to watch unfold. You bet. Um, so we, we've, Kind of beat the hiring and the talent. Actually, if I can interject here. with one more thing, because I, I got a piece of information yeah. probably last year that I think is probably the best piece of advice I've, I've ever heard because it's so unbelievably specific and it relates to um, it to job descriptions and um, hiring and finding the right people and. In job listings, one, it was, it was um, Michael Murray from Textbook Painting. They're out in Ohio. And he said one thing that he learned in his job listings was never to use the word must. You must have your own vehicle. You must have your own tools. You must have this. He said, if a customer came to me and spoke to me that way, I probably wouldn't be that stoked about working for that customer. And so the way that he shifted their job listings was basically to to really tout the company, tout that culture, talk about what you will get in return for coming to work for this company. And he said it made just tremendous amount of difference in the, the people that were coming to them to interview. All right. So we, we didn't beat this to death because that is a great point, but it also follows something that I'm, I'm very passionate about and it's documenting that journey. So you, you talked about like how it's so great, like what are you going to get from working here? Um, and what does our culture look like in the community, those things. 
so often I see contractors very active on social media and it's again, what did they do to the wall or what did they do to the roof or whatever their, their trade is. And that's what they want to make the focal point. And that that's not working. It, like, yes, that might get you some business, but from a recruiting standpoint, you need to highlight the experts, the craftspeople that are doing what's on the wall and what makes them so unique and why are they such a great addition to your community or your family or your culture. Um, so I, I think that's, is I, I know that's something that's big. Like we were talking offline, you know, Scott Johnson with Webfoot, like some of the stuff that they do to recognize their team is so awesome. It's creative because that's who Scott is. But at the end of the day, it's, it's very basic as far as like when you break it down, it's like recognition for very basic things that, they just make into a big celebration. And that's, that's something that I, I really love seeing. Uh, it, it sounds like, you know, the textbook painting, uh, you know, they're doing similar type of things. Um, I do want to shift though, because one piece of this dynamic is we've got to have people that can do the work. How has COVID and the last 24 months impacted supply? I know some of the trades are, really, really feeling the crunch of not having material. Is that oh, the yeah. same in yep. the painting We've, space? You know, between labor shortage that's happening all over the world, you know, and then we had a horrible snowstorm in Houston that just really affected a lot of the a lot of the ingredients in paint, um, in addition to a hurricane that, that caused problems as well. Um, paint shortage has been a really big deal for us. Um, and, and I think we're still going to see that probably, you know, into, into third quarter this year, potentially, you know, into 2023. Uh, but we've seen some great strategies again that contractors are using you know they're they're getting their orders in earlier they're uh they're working more closely with their suppliers they're planning ahead and you know and then they're having to make some shift in product as well it seems like because this is so common in so many areas of construction right now it feels like homeowners and um a lot of the customers have been pretty um understanding, I would say, to an extent of what's happening. So I really do feel like I've seen a community working together to make the best of, of a challenging situation. And that's been really kind of nice and cool to see, especially since, you know, we're, we're probably going to see this for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, the adaptation that you mentioned is, is so important there because, they can't just go and make more products. So you, you do have to figure out like, Hey, if it's not, if the product isn't there, we have mm -hmm. to adapt in some way, shape or form. Um, I don't want to paint a completely grim picture of, you know, we can't, we can't get people to do the jobs. We can't get materials to do the jobs. You did mention earlier, demand is up across the board in contracting and it sounds like it's up in painting as well. So the, there is that positive. Have you seen a pretty consistent increase in demand for the contractors yeah, that you, yeah, I have. you know, work with? And, you know, I have to say is, is you're right. I mean, the situation is it's tough, right? Like operationally, you've, you got to get, you got to get your game on right now. But I will say this, I was here in 2008 
when the market just dropped out from underneath us. And, you know, my first year at APC, we did an operations survey asking how business was. And it was horrible. It was horrible. We saw like maybe 8% of the people who responded to the survey were, were seeing an increase in sales. Everybody else was seeing a decrease. And that's a big number. So we saw people laying people off, um, not being able to meet their minimums on their material orders. Um, we've, we saw all kinds of things that were, I would say, probably much more challenging than this. We saw so many people go out of business on top of it. So I would say lots of business is is probably the preferable scenario, at least for us at APC. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with more from Emily Howard here on The Contractor's Playbook. This episode of The Contractor's Playbook is brought to you by CompanyCam. CompanyCam takes the hassle out of managing your different softwares and systems. It's easy to plug in your existing CRM, invoicing software, and more. Try it free, no card required, at companycam.com or download the app in your app store. What, what should these contractors or what should these businesses and companies be doing from a process standpoint to make sure that they're putting their business in position in case this, ab- I would say it's abnormal demand that we have seen in the last 24 months, like it's going to level off at some point in time. It, it's inevitably going to you know start to decrease at some point in time. What should they be doing from a process standpoint, in your opinion, now to make sure that if we do start to see a little bit of a lull or a slowdown, that they're not going to go out of business. They're going to keep the doors open. Everything's going to be fine and they're just going to adapt. Um, You know, I would say some things that we're covering, it's it's always difficult to answer that question just because we're not business consultants. We're, we're kind of reporters, but so looking forward, I'll say that a few of the things that we've seen and a few of the things that we saw people do back in 2008, when things did get pretty tough um, is, you know, Preparing for this now, I've seen a lot of contractors the last year talking about the cash reserves that they're putting away for a time when things might, where demand might might drop some. Um, secondly, identifying your strong players. And again, um, we see a lot of people making career paths and, and advancement opportunities for them to ensure that their key players will can stick through uh, times that are a little bit more challenging. Um, And then another thing that we've been doing, actually, we just did a couple of podcasts on uh, adding services to your business. So for for our readership and for our listenership, uh, typically, you know, we're we're looking at people that are painting, but we're seeing a lot of people adding renovations. We're seeing a lot of people adding cabinet finishing. We're seeing a lot of people add pressure washing. We're seeing a lot of people, we've seen this for many years, Christmas lights, um, holiday displays, that sort of thing are good areas for two reasons. One, it, it gives you something else to offer your, your, uh, your clientele. But secondly, it creates some great training opportunities for your employees. So just kind of that diversification um, has, has been interesting to see so many companies sort of developing that in the last six to 10 months. For sure. I love how everything seemingly comes full circle because even your answer there was, you know, talking about how do I make sure that we keep our 
our top tier performers. Um, again, another stat for you. And I'm sure it's very similar in the painting trade, but they basically said it's 50% of whatever someone's salary is to replace that person. So whatever you're paying someone, if they leave, it's going to cost you 50% of what you paid them for an entire year to get the next person up to speed and onboarded. And that's, that's a wild thing. Like when you think about it. And so just keeping your, your top performers, um, is it's mission critical, honestly, like you have to keep them. I love your, your diversification thought there too, because again, back to the delegate and elevate, you know, maybe, maybe there's is a career path for someone on your team to make them the champion of cabinetry or Christmas lights or whatever it is. And it's like, what perfect opportunity to increase somebody's career path, make them the champion of something else also while adding a new revenue stream for your business. Um, I I think that dovetails nicely into the last question I really want to dive into here. And with diversification comes, you know, more headaches, more, more things, which good processes are going to be able to attack those just fine. How, how do you, or how are you seeing companies that, you know, are maybe doing some of this diversification or just are scaling their painting piece? How are they keeping everything on the same page as far as, you know, we'll go technology because I think that's the big thing where it's like, you know, are they doing appointments in a different way? Are they keeping their records in a cleaner way so it's easy to get to QuickBooks so that, hey, now we've done 3x the revenue, but it's not any different for our accountant at the end of the year. They're just playing with bigger numbers. What are what are you seeing some best practices that contractors are doing to kind of help them with this mm-hmm. scaling yeah, or diversification? I think, you know, one thing that we've seen is, is that you've got to be careful when you do something like that, right? Because ideas for most of us are kind of easy to come by. Um, the time to implement those ideas is not as easy to come by. So I guess, you know, I would put two things into that um, operationally, I think the the best thing that we've seen contractors do, and again, this this goes back to this mission vacation series that we do, that you know really kind of walks step by step, is knowing for themselves what they want from their business, knowing where they want their business to go. Do you want a big business with lots of employees? Do do you enjoy that management portion? Do you enjoy operations? Do you enjoy these things? Or do you want something different? Because in the end, if you're chasing something that you don't want, it's going to be that much harder to to accomplish that goal. Um, So really creating those visions and values at the front end of your plan checking in with yourself. This is that self-reflection again. What do I want? What do I need? How do I want this to, how do I want this to fill the next 20 years of my life? Um, And kind of working backwards from there. And then you can identify what you think is going to work for you and things that may not work for you. But then secondly, like you said, technology has changed so much. Um, We started an event last year called Tech Fest, and it's all about helping contractors figure out how to identify what technology is right for them. I think this new generation of contractors that we see coming in are very, very proficient in tech. Your customers are probably very proficient in technology. Your new employees who are coming into this market are probably very proficient in technology. If you've been a painting contractor for 25 years, you may or may not be proficient in technology. Um, And more importantly, you may not quite understand how to identify 
the technology that you need and in what order you should actually be implementing those. So we focus this event just sort of all on how to how to learn how to do that, how to identify what you need. But we've heard some awesome stories. I mean, I heard one um, a couple years ago who, you know, there were two of them. One was in charge of operations and production. One was in charge of sales. One of them left, the sales guy left, and the operations guy took over the whole business. He didn't want to do sales. He didn't like it. And so he implemented a couple different pieces of technology that sort of took over that entire sales piece. And he got to go along with his job and his business actually grew. So I think learning about the technology that's available out there to you and understanding what it is that you need, and then really being diligent about implementing those pieces of technologies in, in a way that that's beneficial to you and your company is just, it's, it's an incredible, it can be an incredible time saver and it can be an incredible money saver. Absolutely. And I, I love the order that you gave those two things in because obviously from a tech company, I love talking about implementing technology and if you haven't done self-reflection on your business um, yourself, maybe sit down with some of your key players and evaluated your job process from start to finish and identified, you know, where are we inefficient or where are we, you know, having redundancy, those kind of things. You're never going to actually be able to build out an effective tech stack because what's going to happen is you're going to talk to, you know, somebody from my team, for instance, and they're going to sell you on the shiny object of all of the value of company cam. But if you haven't stepped back and evaluated your business and said, we are inefficient in our job site communication and documentation, and we do have this redundancy, you're never going to truly be able to fully implement that because you're not, you're not like seeing like, Hey, we do have this problem. And so I loved how you put that in that order. And I don't know if you meant to, but it's like, yes, like you can't build a tech stack until you have evaluated your business and said, where are our gaps at? Because all of these pieces of technology serve a purpose, but they may not serve a purpose for every single business. You have to be able to say, Hey, what do we need to improve upon? Where are we? inefficient, redundant, and then start putting that together. Um, I heard a, I heard an analogy um, about Legos and how there's different brands. Like there is obviously Lego and then there's the knockoff brands. And if you're not careful, that's what your tech stack will look like is you're going to have a whole bunch of different Lego pieces or knockoff pieces that don't go together and they, they just are scattered throughout your business. And so you got to be careful of, you know, and proactive. So I love TechFest um, and that you're helping people kind of build that tech stack out in a way that's going to work for their business. Right. I think that's so important. Um, one thing I always love to, to wrap up all of my conversations with, so we're on the contractor's playbook. I haven't got any sports analogies in. The content's been absolutely <laughs> awesome, Emily, but I haven't even, haven't even grabbed a I'm single sports, sports analogy. I'll just warn um, you right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'll, I'll tee it up for you. I'll tee it up for you. Um, what would be um, what would be your walk off as far as you know that one nugget? If you said, "Hey, from everything we've talked about today, there's a lot, but the one thing, like if you're going to take just one nugget from this conversation, 
what would you encourage a contractor to take from today's conversation? You know, that I think it's the vision and values piece. Um, I think that, that really knowing and understanding those things are, will ultimately give you an end goal to be striving for. And all of us are hit with so much now. There's so much. We're, we're very lucky, right? There's so much opportunity out there. And if you're not careful, you kind of chase everything and you end up chasing your tail a little bit. Um, but but having that vision, that, that plan for five years out, understanding exactly what you want, where you want to be in five years, I think, I mean, we have started implementing it more um, as, as a publishing and as a media company. We've started implementing that strategy more since, you know, since we really started diving into the specifics of how to do that. And it makes decisions as an owner easier to make. And it makes it easier to delegate those decisions, I think, um, from my experience. And I've heard many contractors say the same thing. Excellent. I love it. And I know you say that you're, you're not a business coach, which you're not, you're, you're, you're a media company, but um, don't sell yourself short because like that is such great advice. And if we do want to, you know, put a bow on this conversation from a, you know, sports topic, all of the great sports organizations, whether it's professional college, high school, they all have that vision. They're, they're not operating in a six or a 12 month, you know, box. They're, they're seeing that big picture and they're, they're making decisions that ultimately they want to get to that big picture vision. So, um, Emily, it's been a pleasure having you on contractors playbook. Uh, really appreciate it. And those of you joining us, we, we love having you. Um, Hopefully you got some good good nuggets. If not, that one nugget at the end there, take that with you and uh, implement that into your business. So thank you, Emily, and we will see you guys later.